Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And I wanted to pick back up on a topic we haven't touched for several months. We've been in the Psalms for quite a bit. And I thought, you know, let's add a little variety. That's the spice of life, right? Variety. Um, but I wanted to look back with you at uh, the, the epistle to Peter. We were looking at that, seems like a long time ago. But uh, you know, I just wanted to look at some of the truths that he brings out. We're not looking at the, this book verse by verse or anything, but you know, he brings out some truths that I think even as, as we're progressing, we realize how relevant they are for us as, as believers, as individuals. Um, we're going to look at one today that I think is relevant for us. And, of course, we're, we're looking at Peter, right, his writings, but also his life. His writings were birthed out of his life. And, um, you know, he's, he's one of those people in Scripture that you look at and, and say, you know what? I can identify with this man or this man's life is encouraging, right? He gives us hope because God allowed us to see into Peter's life in a way that you don't always see in, in the people's lives in scripture. Um, you know, perhaps Peter had a part in this, but yet we're able to see moments of great strength and faith in Peter's life but we also see some moments of failure, or at least one big one. He was an impetuous man, or at least in nature, um, that caught, you know, there, there, was a, there was a blessing and a curse with that because you're quick to receive new things, but sometimes you're quick to react too. And, you know, but, but yet we're, we're instructed and encouraged in Peter's life because we see how God moved in him worked in him as repentance, the fruit of repentance was developed in his life and God moved in him in a powerful way. And so it encourages us to press on because even in our greatest failures, God can turn it. God can move and work in our lives. God can show himself strong where we are weak. And so Peter shows us someone who has met the living God, has experienced his glory, also the pain of sorrow and failure and, and so forth. But then the Lord lifts, lifts him up. So he can give us some good perspective. He can give us some warnings from his experiences in life uh, so that hopefully we don't reproduce those in our lives. And so um, one of the messages that we see Peter share is the answer to a question is what is our calling? What is our calling? And now there's many aspects that we could consider about the calling of the Lord and the calling as saints. But Peter brings something really specific out in relation to our calling, right? I mean, so we could say as saints, we're called to witness and evangelize and share Christ. That's our calling. We're called to do good works. We've talked about that in the past. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. And all these things are true, but I wanted to look at another aspect of our calling that Peter brings out. And let's look in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25. And it says, For here were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, 
Neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he didn't threat, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. For you as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's a good passage. It says a lot of good truths that, that, that are powerful as they work in our lives. But I, I, the thing I want us to see is what Peter is saying about our calling, what we're called unto, that we are called to look unto Christ at what he did. We're, and we recognize that he led by example so that we would follow in his steps. That's our calling. And so the message is not just follow me to heaven, but follow me to become like me. Follow me to become like me. What was he like? Well, basically, Peter describes him or describes some of his aspects in this way. He said wicked things weren't found in his mouth, his speech, especially when it related to other people. Because when he, when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he didn't fight back. He didn't threaten back, right? He, he was quiet, kind of like as Isaiah says, a lamb who opened not his mouth. And, but isn't that so much the opposite <laughs> of what we know is lurking in there? Sometimes not very far below the surface. Just depends on the situation. Some situations we can be like a little lamb. Other situations, not, not so much. You know, when someone isn't nice or does something against us, causes us to suffer, Jesus didn't give back what he received. He was quiet. And why is that? What was the reason? Because this helps us in our journey, in our quest to become like him. Jesus, it says of him, but he committed himself. This is back in verse 23. It says, he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus committed himself to, into the hands of his father into thy hands, I commit my spirit. It, that wasn't just on the cross. That was in his life every day. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit today. And when people are attacking me and reviling me, I'm not looking to them. I'm looking to you because your plan is perfect and just. And so Jesus was able to, to have that perspective of his heavenly father, lift his eyes to heaven, realizing that the Father's judgment is perfect, it's righteous, and he was able to rest in that. And that's the pattern that Peter says we are to walk in. That's the pathway we're to follow. And it's the way to eternal life, to eternal strength and victory. However, we realize there is a, a problem, is that in the world, there is a lot of that stuff going on. There's a lot of injustice, right? There's a lot of unrighteousness 
wickedness or so forth that that we're seeing today. It's on the national scene. We're seeing many situations and outcomes that are not just. They're not right. And that's on many sides, right? It's all around us. And we can have a certain response in our flesh where we want to lash out. We want to give back what we receive. And But as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, what matters to God? What matters in God's sight? Uh, what will make a difference in the light of eternity? What is heaven looking for in our lives? And having that perspective will get us on that perfect pathway of following Christ. Part of the problem is that our our time on earth is so short and we only see such a small snapshot of time right? in relation to eternity. I mean, this, our time on earth is like a nanosecond. We blink and it's gone and then we're going to be in eternity for eternity. Right? Right? However many, what the biggest number you can think of, that's that's where our, our focus and our, our time will be for the rest of our existence. The problem is we only see right now in this short space of time. And we focus on that, but the problem is what is the only thing that really matters is what's eternal. Now I realize I'm I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I'm not sharing things that are brand new or anything. It's things, you know, you realize, but it helps to say it out loud. It helps to remind ourselves what matters in life, especially when we see so much going on, so much injustice or, inru- or you know, unrighteousness. What did Jesus do? He committed himself to him who judges rightly. You know, I think this is an important concept because as believers, we know this is only going to increase in the earth. And at some point, it's going to be directed towards believers, those who pro- proclaim the name of Christ and so forth. And so we want to have this so clearly in our spirits that we are committing ourselves to him that judges righteously. Now, there's a, a story that, that kind of comes to me is that of King David. Right? He's another example of someone who loved the Lord, but he also had some, he was human. Let's put it that way. And he paid the price for some of the mistakes he made in his humanity. Um, you know, one of the results of his sin that it says the Lord spoke to him that he would experience evil out of his own house. And that was fulfilled many times over in his household. One of them was came from the in the form of his son Absalom, trying to start a rebellion and you know, coming against Jerusalem and, and so forth. David had to flee. He had to leave the ark in the presence of God, go into the wilderness. That's not the part I want to bring out. But we probably remember that man named Shimei, who at that, at that point of David's lowest point, he comes and he starts to curse David. He starts to throw stones. He starts to, you know, bring up the past and make accusations and all of these, these wicked things. Accuses him of murder, all these things, and saying that this is a just punishment because he took the kingdom from Saul. Now, the thing was, is David was experiencing, you know, you could say the result of 
the, or the consequences of some of the sin in his life, but not because of this, not because of Saul. In fact, if you could say if anyone was careful honoring you know, the, the anointed one of the Lord, it was David. He constantly had to stop his men. No, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I won't put my hand in. And he, his heart just even smote him when he cut a little piece of Saul's garment just to have proof, look, I could have killed you. And even that smote him. If there's anyone who you know, deserved praise for his conduct with Saul, it was David. But yet here's this man accusing him, cursing him, and so forth. He had, of course, David again had to stop his men from trying to take Shimei out. So in this, David was just and righteous. But um, when you look at what David said about this man, this I think this is what makes David so great. In, in 2 Samuel 16, let's just read this passage. 2 Samuel 16, verses 10 through 12, it says, but, but David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? They wanted to kill Shimei. Let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite, let him alone, let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. David was somehow able to look at the curses of Shimei and the evil speech and the actions and see it with eternal eyes. And so he told his men, leave him alone. Don't touch him. Let him curse. Let him say those things. He can do whatever he wants. Let him be. Because it was as if David looked at it in a way that it would make him a candidate for the mercy of God. He realized all of these things were happening because of his actions with, as far as Absalom goes. But now here's something coming that's unjust. And he says, oh Lord, look at this injustice. It makes me a candidate for your mercy to trust in you. And that's just one of the many examples in scripture that, that, it gives to us of what to do in the face of injustice. That we lift up our eyes to the one who is just and righteous, call upon his name, and know that he will make things right. If not now, definitely in eternity. Peter puts it this way back in, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 9. It says, Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called. Oh, there's back to our calling. We were called that we may obtain a blessing. And I think we could say with certainty, everyone wants a blessing. Everyone wants to live in the blessing of God, to obtain a blessing, to have a blessed life. Then our part is to bless, not to curse, that we could obtain a blessing. And David was able to see that even in the midst of an unjust situation. And, you know, it's my cry, Lord, help me to see that. Give me eyes to see eternally what matters in life. But we pray that because we realize there's a, 
there's something going on in our hearts. There's a war in it because in our, well, I should say our nature wants to, to do that. Feelings arise. We want to respond and so forth. But, you know, Peter says something else about the war within us in verse 11, 1 Peter 2, 11. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from the fresh, fleshly lusts which war against your soul which war against your soul. So Peter says, we are pilgrims, we're strangers, we're travelers. That's a perspective that will help us. We're, we're just passing through. We may own stuff. We may have property. We may have a house or and cars and different things to make life a little more pleasant, but it's all temporary because we're pilgrims. No matter where we are in our journey, what happens to us this is not the end. Our end is, as it, in Pilgrim's Progress, it's the, the glorious city, celestial city, the city of glory and of light. Like Christ, we might experience suffering and injustice on our journey. As believers, we know that this is only going to increase in the earth, and as I mentioned, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is one of hope, one of glory, one of his light shining through his people as we trust in him as the just one, ultimately the Lord coming for his glorious bride. And if we have that perspective, it helps us to look beyond the difficulties we're experiencing in life. Of course, the one thing Peter says is abstain. Abstain with the, from the fleshly lust, that war against the soul. The greatest enemy is within. Those things that would cause our responses to rise up, that would cause us to focus on what is earthly. And we give in to those things and it causes a war within, a war in our soul. It's not very nice to have a war going on inside. I'd rather have peace. But the only way to have peace is to surrender. That's not a battle we can win. But, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. We can win that battle by surrendering, by surrendering to Christ, submitting to him, to his ways, to his wisdom, to his battle plan, to his timing. When we do that, he can lead us to victory. And his battle plan is to deal with what's going on in here, deal with what is not like him, what won't flow with his pathway the sin within us. If we can conquer that, then we can have a right perspective and we'll see that what is happening on the outside, like with David and Shimei, it's only for our good. It's only to help us meet with God, to obtain a blessing as we have a right response. I want to look at one last thought with you that Peter shares, and it's a very practical thing, and I'm just sharing from what Scripture says here. And it's what matters. You know, I mean, in the news and the world, people love to share their perspective and what they think and so forth. But ultimately, it's an earthly perspective. We want to focus on what heaven says, what God says is important. And what is heaven's perspective of what we're to do on earth? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake 
whether it be to king as supreme or unto governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What a, what a verse there. Sometimes you want to put to silence a lot of the foolishness that's going on. Well, the Lord shows us how to do it there. As free, not using our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brother, brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So Peter is sharing about the natural and the earthly authority, and he wants us to understand that this authority is allowed by God to deal with evildoers. And he did not promise that the authority would be good people like him. It would be nice if, if they were, but fortunately they're, they're not always, sometimes rarely. But, you know, they do justice in the sense of because God put them there, he uses them to work in us. And so he still, even though they're not perfect, he said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. But notice what he said, that there's power in doing so. Verse 15, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, there's something that can utterly destroy the arguments of our opponents. It's when we do good and we live our message. When we follow the example of Christ, where it said evil words were not found on his lips. When he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. When we make that our focus, it will put to silence those who speak and do evil. Maybe not right away. And I know that's the hard part. We do good. And evildoers, it seems like they keep on talking. It's like, is, is doing good, does that do any good? Well, we trust the Lord that in his timing it will. He says it will put them to silence. There'll come a day when they will be silent. Because those who have done the will of God, they will stand. So that should be our expectation, our hope, our eternal perspective. The Lord will allow them to go on for a time knowing that it is short. He's coming to judge the earth in righteousness. You know, we can be encouraged that he is coming to judge in righteousness. Sometimes I like to think about the millennium. You know, you, you think about the injustice and, you know, even sometimes the system of justice doesn't give justice because it's human. It's not perfect. But when Christ comes, it's going to be perfect because he's going to be in charge. He's going to reign. He's going to set up a perfect kingdom on this earth. And that's what we want to keep our eyes on. Lord, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to flow with your kingdom. And so let's keep our eyes upon him, looking at his example and following it, not responding in like kind to the injustice we face in this world, not giving place to that War, the things that cause war within our soul. One last verse. But as it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame by not responding and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if we follow his example, he'll have a place for us with him around his throne for all eternity. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your wonderful and perfect example. Lord, we just cry out to you. Lord, we recognize that we're human and we have those weaknesses that would cause a war to take place within our soul. Lord, that would cause us to to respond in wrong ways. But Lord, we look to you and we cry out to you that you would work afresh in us, that you would draw our hearts, Lord, to look to you as David did. Lord, that when difficulty or injustice comes, Father, we would keep our eyes upon you knowing that you're the Father of mercy and that you will turn it for good and you'll work in our lives and you'll make us like you. And Lord, that your, your desire is to bring a blessing into our lives. Help us, Lord, to walk after you in such a way. Do that work within us. Set our eyes upon you and upon eternity that we'll be those pilgrims who will come to that glorious city and dwell with you for eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.